Cool. Welcome, everyone. Talking with worship leaders just through the, through the years, one of the things that they always talk about or celebrate, I should say, is when, when they have a, a time of worship and everyone is worshiping. That's always the goal. Rarely do they feel that they've done some great thing if the worship was just, you know, the musicianship was just perfect and the transitions were flawless and all that. I think to a good worship leader, success is everyone uh, kind of in unity, just worshiping the, the room filled with song. And of course, I think God thinks the same way. I don't think God was like, wow, they really killed it up on stage today. And even though nobody else participated, I think God is, just loves when his church lifts up their hearts together in worship. Amen? Amen. 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 That's my sermon today. <laughs> That's it. I'm going home. Um, no, we need more. You need more. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you a little bit more. <laughs> Uh, optional, all right? Masks, you know, the mandate's kind of lifted, so it's really up to you. Um, if you feel comfortable wearing one, great. If you don't want to wear one, you don't have to wear one. So that's kind of where we're at. Praise God. It's good to see you guys, your faces, not half of your faces, some of you. <laughs> um, we had our refresh gathering, our first one of the year on Wednesday, and Usually our midweek gatherings, well, during the pandemic, like the, when we're, we thought we were coming out of like the first wave or something, we, we started the midweek gatherings. And I think, I don't know, there was like five people the first time. And I think one week it was just me, Roger, and Jackie. Um, so I was like, well, maybe we're not ready for this. So we, we kind of put it on the shelf. I guess you guys are ready because there was almost as many people here on Wednesday night as there are right here, <laughs> which was pretty cool. I would say well over 50. Um, so if you don't know what Refresh is, it's just a time midweek. Uh, we open the doors at 6.30. We have a little bit of food for those who want you know, to come straight from work or whatever. So that's kind of downstairs in the cafe. Then we come upstairs for a little bit of worship. Matt Talamini did a few songs, really nice. And then Chris Wah uh, preached, or taught, I should say, taught the word, um, going through the book of Malachi, and we'll do this for a couple months. And then also John Michelson took a, a group of people uh, downstairs into the lounge, and they did uh, a study on the foundation. So they're just going through the foundations of the faith uh, just to, it's really for anyone, right, John? It could be for somebody who's not sure about Christianity yet and just they want to explore. It could be for somebody who's brand new and just really needs to kind of get their roots, theological roots down deep. Or someone who's gotten a potpourri of stuff throughout the years and just really wants to bring it in and, and get solid. Um, I mean, Jackie's in it. I mean, that's a bonus. That could draw people right there, just that Jackie's in it. Uh, for those who don't know, Jackie... Helped, helped me and my wife start the church with her husband, Roger, a long time ago, over 20 years ago. And so she's 
kind of the, the mother, the grandmother, great-grandmother of the church. Everybody loves Jackie. <laughs> All right, well, also, if you weren't here last week, we, we gave the uh, sort of formal invitation to be part of the core. Uh, the core is just the, you know, those who are part of, want to be part of the church in 2022. Uh, so if you missed last week, you might want to go back and listen to that message. Um, the core forms are right in the backs of the chairs, so you can you can fill one out if you feel like you're ready. Like If you feel like this is, yeah, this is my church this year, um, yeah, this is, my, this is my church family, then go ahead and do that so we can kind of keep you connected and keep you aware of what's, what's going on. Well, today we're going to be Looking at this, I'm asking questions. If you don't know, I've just been asking all kinds of questions, dozens, hundreds of questions over the last couple years during the pandemic. And so we're just dealing with a couple kind of big questions today. One is, what is the church? Uh, How should we relate to it? And what should the church do when they are gathered together? Simple questions. And you might think, wow, do they... They're 20 years old. They still don't know the answer to these questions. They're not, they're not that simple. There's a lot, lot to uh, really understanding these things. We take a lot of things for granted. And so we are in a season of thinking through who we are, what's our identity, why do we do what we do, to make sure that we're doing things according to uh, God's word and his design. Um, for those who are new, brand new in the community, maybe this is your first time here, uh, maybe you've just come the last couple weeks, it's kind of funny, actually, to come at this time. I mean, we're super glad that you're here. It's almost like having guests come to your house when you're in the middle of a major renovation, and you're sort of in the demolition stage, and there's just stuff everywhere, and there's nowhere to sit. I mean, not literally, but... It kind of feels like that because we're in this season of just rethinking how we do what we do. And, uh, but it's also kind of a, a fun time to, to mesh in and consider things, uh, get a, more of an inside glimpse. I haven't really been doing sermons neat and tidy. I've been more coming up with uh, pastoral, I don't even know if I call them pastoral talks, pastoral talks and uh, letting you in on some of my questioning and some of my thought process just to, to get you uh, stirred and get you to talk with each other and think about things and dig into the word. Uh, as I've said with, to many of you, this is a, a bit of a process right now. I don't have all the answers, so I'm not presenting to everybody, here's the you know, exact way that we're going to do everything in the days to come. I, I really, I have some ideas. I'm moving in a direction. Uh, I feel like God is leading. I don't have all the details. So that's where we as a community are going to work together to refine our strategies in the days to come. Does that make sense? First time visitors are like, what are we, what are they talking about? Deconstructing demolition. I, I'm so confused now. Just try to try to follow. I'll try to be clear. But today we're looking at this question: What is the church? 
And you know, why, why do we gather together? What are we supposed to do when we gather together? Well, in Scripture, you have, you have different ideas of how the word church is used. In one sense, you know, what is the church? When you ask that question, Scripture gives us the answer that it is this kind of universal church. We are actually part of the church that the Apostle Peter and Paul and James and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the first century Christians and Christians from all over the world and through all of the ages and all the martyrs and all of them. We are part, there's only, in one sense, one church. And eventually, it's all going to come together. Imagine that. We're all going to assemble in, in, in glory together, that great symphony in the sky. It's going to be incredible. One verse to give you an example. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's Ephesians 5.25. And the scripture talks a lot about this idea of the universal church, that we are this, and of course Christ is the head of the church. But then in another sense, scripture talks about the local church. You know, what is not the church, but what is a church? What is a church? Well, it's the local church. For example, in Galatians 1-2, um, Paul says, all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches, plural, in Galatia. So there were many churches in just this one region of Galatia. So it's like many things in Scripture. There are, I guess, paradoxes or, you know, there's seemingly contradictory ideas, but they're actually not. There is one universal church of all the ages of all the Christians everywhere, but there are local expressions of the church. And that's what Paul is talking about in Galatians and many other places. In fact, Scripture kind of uses the word church more frequently uh, to, you know, to, to speak of these local assemblies. Um, so yes, there's one universal church and many local assemblies or churches. The Greek word used for church is interesting, ekklesia. And you know, just doing some research on this word, you kind of have uh, this idea that ecclesia was just used as, like, you know, before the church, okay? The word ecclesia was just used as a gathering place, actually more like a town hall meeting, like a civic gathering of, like, the council and the people getting together to talk about ideas or to, you know, kind of build society. Um, that was the word that the New Testament writers chose uh, for church, which is interesting, which is a common word. Um, but of course, they, like many of the words that they took, they sort of uh, redeemed them or morphed them and changed them a bit and added to it. 
um, a town hall meeting doesn't mean the universal church, uh, right? It's so that, you know, the scripture does that with words, which is a really interesting thing. But some uh, say that they chose the word to be a little subversive because uh, the church was sort of calling people out of the world and calling people together to build a new kind of people, a new kind of society, which, you know, there could be some truth to that. And the Christians were very much a new, kind of a new society. Citizenship is in heaven. But some of the questions related to uh, these ideas are, can you have one church, many locations? Well, in one sense, yeah, because there is one church, right? One universal church. But could you, can you have uh, one church, small c, many locations? I mean, some say, well, isn't that what a, maybe a denomination is? That's not really biblical. Um, and actually, there, there are many churches. You see it right on their website. You know, one church, many locations. I mean, we've talked about maybe doing that at times. One church, many locations. Is that can you have one church? Many locations. I don't know. I don't. I would. I'm leaning toward, toward no, on that. Again, I'm, like I said, I'm just. I'm thinking out loud here, and you're joining me. Okay, I'm just bringing you into this. Is not a polished, tidy thing. You're like, does he know what he's talking about? Why are we here? Why is he up on the stage like the expert, and he doesn't even know? He's asking us. It seems like. Because we're, we're a family, we're a community. Amen. But I'm leaning toward no on that. You can't have one church, many locations. Um, how about one church with two or three services? Ah, even that is a stretch. Because the very word church just implies assemble. It implies like assembled together. So that's kind of two churches. You know, one that's at nine and one that's at 11. It's almost like two churches, which would be weird to call it two churches. Again, I'm just throwing these things out there. When you really start digging into the theology, it, it, uh, it challenges the way we use language. All right. What about online church? You know, people who are, I mean, I've heard of people who live here, but they're attending a church that's like 500 miles away because they have like huge online type thing. Uh, is, is that possible? Are, you know, can you have an, a purely online church experience? I think from a biblical standpoint, no, you really can't because it means to come together. It means that's what the very word ecclesia means to, to kind of you know call people to assembly, call people together. It it loses its meaning completely unless there's actually a gathering. Actually, I have one quote here that I stumbled across: is the essence of the church is related to actual assemblies of actual people. So I, I don't really think you can have online church. Not pandemic, okay, whatever. You know, we had to do that, and there's special times and stuff like that. But to really be part of the church, 
implies assembling together. <laughs> you know, it's like somebody saying, yeah, I'm a member of this church, but I kind of don't really go that much. Um, I actually go to a different, you know, assembly over here. Like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, can you be a part of a church you do not attend? That, no, you, you really can't. But this happens all the time because you have, especially some of these churches have been around forever, they have like 1,482 uh, people on their membership roster, right? <laughs> but, you know, how many people actually gather on Sunday? There's like 16 people. But if you ask those 1,400 plus people, what church are you a part of? Oh, you know, and they give you the name. But from God's perspective, no. Church really means assemble together, gather. All right. I think we all know at this point that church is not a building, right? Even though it's used commonly in culture as you know, what is that? You know, if you pointed to right across the street, Grace Harbor Church, you know, what, what, if you point to that, what is that? Oh, that's Grace Harbor Church. It's actually not. Um, it's the building that Grace Harbor Church gathers in, right? Just like this is the building that Renaissance Church happens to gather in. A building is not a church. We can't go to church necessarily. That language is problematic biblically because we, we are the church, right? The church, the church is me and you. And when we come together, we are the church of God. So when we ask uh, people, you know, what church do you go to? That question is kind of interesting, right? What church do you belong to? Let's ask that question. Well, in one sense, we belong to the only church that there is, right? Christ's church. There's only one church of all the ages, the universal church. But in another sense, if you're part of Wren Church, you would say Wren Church. That's your local church. What about people that go to like five different churches? You're going to have a hard time proving that is okay in the Bible. You know, it's God's plan for us to be part of a local church. It is so strong in Scripture and in the ethos of the early church that really to become a Christian was practically synonymous with being baptized into a local body of believers. You didn't have people, you know, coming to Christ and, you know, coming into a personal relationship with Jesus, but, ah, I don't know, I don't really have a church, or, you know, I'm spiritual but not religious, or, you know, I just have Jesus in my heart, I don't, I don't really have a, a body of believers that I'm... The early Christians, that would be a completely foreign concept to them. Being a part of a church is really a huge component of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, Romans 16.5 says, Greet also the church 
in their house. And you, there's many other verses like that. But the, the church was inside of a house. Just like we are the church inside this building at 184 Broad Street. So I just want to throw that out there just to encourage us. I still make slips all the time, but uh, let's be careful with our language and let's be careful how we talk about these things. Let's try to be theologically accurate and be playful. I mean, don't be like mean to people if they use the wrong language and scold them. Like, what do you mean? What, you know, just... Don't do that, you know, just, but you can be playful about it and say, um, you know, I am the church. You know, if they say what, uh, you know, well, I'll leave it to you guys to, I don't want to tell you what to say. <laughs> just let's all work on our, our language in that sense and be theological, theologically correct in that. Um. So what is, let's go a little deeper here. Like, what is the church, you know, just defined? Well, it's a people, like I said. It's a people. But what kind of people? It's a particular kind of people. It's actually, Scripture says it's a peculiar people. Um, it's an interesting people. They are people who have been called out of the world, and they've been brought into the light. They've been called out of darkness, and they are now in Christ Jesus um, they are a people who have been born of the Holy Spirit. They are a people who are now connected in union with Jesus. There's so many verses we could go to. I'll just give you one, uh, one portion. First Peter 2.5, You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then a few verses later, 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10, you are, he's speaking of the church, you, the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I mean, these are all descriptions of us as the church. You are a, as the church, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. That's part of the identity of the church, to display the greatness of Jesus to the world, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I mean, we could say it like this. Once we were not the church, but now we are the church of God. So cool. What a blessing to be a part of the church. Thank you, Lord. So the church, uh, big C, is all who have the spirit universally. The church, small c, is all who gather together locally in Christ, in God. Now, another question that I've been asking and many people ask is, what actually makes 
a church a church, speaking of the local, local assembly? What actually makes it a church? What is, here's another uh, way that the question is asked, what is the ecclesiastical minimum? Well, some say you need to have a pastor. Uh, you need to have elders. Uh, there needs to be the preaching of the word. There needs to be communion. There needs to be worship. There needs to be kids programming. There needs to be coffee. <laughs> Just singing if you're awake. There needs to be fellowship, mission, prayer, and so on and so forth. You know, because there's a lot of components, right? If, church, if the church is an engine, like there's a lot of parts. There's a lot of parts involved. I mean, there's some parts of an engine that you could probably rip out and it won't, it won't affect much, right? I mean, you could probably rip out your windshield wiper fluid and you could probably survive. That's not really part of the engine, but you know what I mean? Well, how about our bodies? I guess, you can, I guess we don't need the appendix. I hope we don't. My daughter doesn't have one anymore. <laughs> but, you know, there's certain parts of the body, I guess. You know, you could lose a finger. You could lose an eye. Uh, you can still keep going. But what things are essential? You know, you can't take out the heart, and yeah, we don't need that. Like, there's certain things that you, you have to have. Uh, I don't have all the answers for this. There is a lot of discussion about this out there. And actually, the Bible is not super clear with it. For example, you know, when, when Paul uh, met with Lydia, in the book of Acts, uh, down by the river, it seemed to be there was a gathering of people praying, right? Was that a church? Um, how about two or three believers meeting in a country that is maybe heavily Muslim or maybe heavy persecution, and there really are no believers anywhere? So two or three Believers are meeting together. Let's say they meet together weekly. Is that a church? Churches are like plants that, that grow. You know, so the, I think those two or three, that could be the seeds of a church. Would Jesus call it a church? I'm not sure. Maybe he would. Um, like how... Is it, is it a number of people? Well, once you hit 100, then you're a church. Or once you have 20 people, uh, once you hit the double digits, then, then you become a church. You know, I don't think it's a numerical thing. And there's definitely, in Scripture, you see uh, churches that did not have elders yet. You had sort of regional oversight, maybe by some apostles. So it seems like they were churches, even though... There weren't elders appointed yet. Like I said, it's a kind of like a plan. A church can maybe be in its infant stages, and it's called a church. It's, you know, it's a, it's a watermelon plant, you know, but it does, there's no watermelon. You know, it's, it, but, it, but it is a watermelon plant, and it, and it grows, and eventually it has maybe all these full things, um, like elders and all the different, you know, components of church life. But do they need all of those things at the very beginning? It's a question. It's a question. Probably not. And, and I think the Bible does say, you know, give us some examples where there were clusters of believers. You know, remember, the gospel spread throughout the known world at that time. You know, Paul's coming through a region, 
for a few months or whatever and planting churches and, you know, maybe had five here and seven here and, you know, a little gathering of 10 or 15 that ended up, you know, and it wasn't like they were just taking the train to get to each other. You know, they, they're remote, you know, they're spread out like crazy. So you did have these smaller uh, clusters of believers and it seems like scripture says that they were, they were churches in the infant stages um, but they were churches. So, you know, to kind of bring this back to us, and I know for new people you might not exactly know what I'm talking about, but we're starting an in- initiative called, we've been calling them small churches. We haven't started yet. We're going to do some training in the next few months uh, to get people ready. But we're kind of on Sunday afternoons at 1 or 4 or 7, uh, you know, these smaller communities will begin to be formed 15 people in each community. And so there's a whole vision and idea about this. But let me just say this for those that know what I'm talking about. Um, What about our small churches that we've been calling them? Are they churches? Well, I would say I'm leaning toward no. All right? Maybe that's confusing now. All right? So now I'm rethinking even calling them small churches. Small churches at Wren are not small churches. I mean, they, we call them that. We were thinking of calling them that. Maybe we're not going to. But they're actually not small churches because we, this is the church. Like I said, as I thought through these things, you can't really have one church many locations. You, the church is the gathered people of God. So... Maybe that's confusing. You know, I went through so many different ideas of what names to use. Uh, small churches was one of them. Small communities, sub-churches, uh, mission posts, mission groups, small communities, mission plants. What else? We could probably come up and have a little brainstorming session. I don't know. You Give me some of your ideas. Not now, but, you know, like send them to me in an email. But we'll we'll figure it out. But the idea is that You know, you start with 15, and hopefully you grow to 25, 30. And when you hit that 25, 30 point, then you can launch out, send, you know, send um, 10 or 15 out to start something new. You know, are these churches? I don't think they are actually from a theological point of view because we are all one body. We are one church. This is Ren Church, the gathered church, the gathered people here. So, could they be churches? Yes, they could. And this is kind of what we're thinking more long-term. Now, again, so these smaller churches or communities, we're not pushing them. I'm thinking very sort of organic about this in the sense that we, there's no long-term destination for these smaller communities. We just want to let them grow and just kind of let God do what he wants to do in each of them. So some of them will probably grow maybe pretty fast and then just decide that, yeah, we're going to send out 15 and we're going we're gonna to do, you know, start another small community one town over or it's going to have kind of a different focus. Um, some small communities might not grow too much and people might move and 
maybe they uh, actually, after a year, decide to meld into some of the other smaller communities. That's okay, too. Um, some of the small communities might evolve into full-blown churches. And that's great, too. We just want to give freedom. What I say, what I mean by full-grown churches or fully kind of autonomous churches is that they would be connected to Ren Church, but they would maybe have their own name. They would maybe have their own, they would have their own elders. They would have their own, manage their own money or whatever. Just kind of let them go. You know, if it's 34, this, I mean, here's a scenario where this would make sense. If, let's say there was, uh, I can think of so many strategic areas to, you know, to plant churches. But let's say there were, there was, um, a community, you know, 15 of you were centered in on the town, the smallest town in Rhode Island, Warren, and 15 of you were like, yeah, we're all about this. We're going we're gonna to reach these people. And people were coming to Christ. Uh, you were seeing uh, all kinds of things happening. You're doing all kinds of mission. And before you knew it, uh, there was, you know, 30 people, 15 people came to Christ, and they all lived there. All the people that you're reaching are so integrated into Warren, at that point, it might be worth exploring. Wow, maybe this thing just needs to kind of become an expression of a new church, a church plant in the town of Warren. And so Wren Church, the mother, would just kind of let that, let that go, let that happen, you know, kind of resource that, get behind that, release, you know, release the people, release the funds, you know, just let them kind of do their, their thing. So again, that's not, there's no pressure for any of the, like maybe one out of five that happens to, or one out of 10, maybe 10 out of 10, I don't know. That could happen too. I just, I'm at a point in my life where I just don't want to, I just want to be totally surrendered. You know, I just want to like really let God do what he wants to do with us and let things morph and evolve and grow and and just let just hands off you know I don't want to have it's like rigid program this is what I ever want everybody to do like just and maybe it seems like that and that's not the spirit at all of where I'm going you might think oh Pastor Scott's got this like whole new structure for everything I'm at, it's actually it's like I'm trying to create a structure that is fluid and really allows um, the community to grow the way the Lord wants it to grow, right? Julia, I need like a, a good gardening metaphor right now. <laughs> you know, there's probably like if you're growing something, I don't know, grapes or tomatoes or something like that you could create a structure around that thing that would actually stifle the growth of it but you can't have no structure at all right that's not going to be good because they'll just I don't know they won't grow right they won't so you need just enough structure to to kind of guide it but let it go where where it wants to go if you need more wisdom on that Julia in the back she'll <laughs> fill you in I'm not really a gardener. But part of the reason I'm thinking this way, too, is that I feel like, and this is another question that people 
argue about, you know, how big is too big for a church. I just feel like to really be a local church, to be the gathered people of God, um, it can be too big. You know, how, I mean, Eugene Peterson, I think, uh, the author and pastor, I think he put the cap on, I want to say 500, which I think is kind of big. And I don't, I don't know if his church was even that big. But most churches are 100. Wren Church, I've been here <laughs> through all the phases of the first three years when it was about 30 people. And then for many years, we were under 100, um, maybe five years or so. We were about 80 to 100, mostly college students. And then we, uh, we doubled at that point. It hit 200 and then started, it was like our two to 300 season. So I've kind of been, now we're kind of back down because of the pandemic, maybe 100, 150. Um, you know, I've, I've paid attention to the community dynamics at all the different sizes. And I just, you know, remember when we were 30, now we couldn't maybe have the same, we didn't have the same amount of money, we didn't have the same like maybe production excellence, but man, when the church was 30 to 50, there was, it was sweet. Everyone knew each other. Um, there was also more drama because everyone knew each other. <laughs> uh, but I think, how, you know, how big is too big? For a church, I don't know. I'm asking that question. I, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, there may be a reason. You know, sometimes pastors get criticized. Well, why, you know, why is your church only a hundred? I don't know. Maybe the Lord designed it that way. Maybe there's a reason why the overwhelming majority of churches are under a hundred people because that's kind of what what you can handle. What maybe a few elders could handle. I think that's actually pretty big. Um, so we want to create, again, back to the structure, we want to create a structure that, I guess what I'm saying is I, I kind of don't want, I want to reach people. I want to reach all of Rhode Island, but I don't want to become 300 or 500, or I don't want to have to move out of this building and get a bigger building that's like the sanctuary is like four times as big and the stage is three times as big and so we can fit a thousand people in. Like, I don't really want to do that because that doesn't seem like, the way we could really be the church. I mean, we could fit a lot of people in, but I think churches, local church expressions need to be relatively small so there can really be this living out of the one another's. I mean, have you ever seen some of the, like, the TV, uh, TV pastors or whatever you call them? And it's, like, ridiculous. They're meeting in, like, basketball stadiums and... It's just so crazy. There's like thousands of people. I mean, wouldn't, isn't it weird that you could go to a church and you would see the pastor at Target and he wouldn't even know who you are? Wouldn't it be weird to go up to your pastor and be like, oh, hi, Pastor Joe. I am Scott. I've been going to whatever the name of the church is, for 10 years. Oh, nice to meet you. That's weird. That's not a church. That's the, you're part of the universal church together. But I think that to be a local church implies that you know each other and you care for each other and you can live out all of the one another's. I mean, the size that we're at now, we can, 
we can we can do that. It gets a little hard when it when it gets beyond a hundred. I just I'm just saying it. It is people fall through the cracks. We lo- kind of lose people. People are coming and going. When you hit that two hundred plus three hundred, I mean, when, once we hit like three hundred, I was like, I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know who that person is. These people are, you know, I don't have enough time. I can't get to everybody. Uh, it was just it, it kind of had like a chaotic. <laughs> community feel, at least from my perspective. Now, you guys might think, it's exciting, you know, because 300 people in a room singing is fun. Um, And I love that. But I I just, I'm not sure you can really be the church. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to be a part of a church that if somebody, if somebody dies in the community, like everyone in the church goes to the funeral. Do you know what I mean? Somebody uh, loses a child, like the whole church is there. Somebody has a baby, everybody's bringing meals. You know, that you can't do that with a church of 300 because for one, we don't have enough time to do all that. The pastor can't, you know, can't do all of that. So just things fall through the cracks and it just, it's, hard to live out the one another's in that context, which again, I think is why churches are usually small. And in the first century and second century and third century, they were, they were small. They met in houses. And I think that was intentional. So some of the metaphors you see in scripture are the body, right? That the church is like a body. I'll give you, I'll read the the portion, Romans 12. It's a, there's actually a lengthy uh, portion in 1 Corinthians 12, but I'll just give you the shorter one in Romans 12, 4 to 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts, that's speaking of all of us, right? Having Each of us have gifts. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And I don't think that's an exhaustive list. I think he was just shooting off, you know, six or seven of them. I think the the point is that each member of the physical body, right, does a different thing. It functions in a different way. It just has a different function, but it serves the whole body. Alone, it doesn't do much, right? If I cut off my finger, that's kind of gross to think about, but and I put it on the stage, and you guys are like, yeah, check it out. Like, watch what it can do. And we'll all stare at it for 20 minutes. It doesn't do anything alone. It comes alive when it's connected to the rest of the members of the body. And that's the metaphor that the writer of Scripture chose, or one of them. Another one is building. I'm going to read a bunch of Scriptures. Ephesians 2, 19-22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you, speaking of God's people, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself 
being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Love that. Another metaphor in scripture is the bride. We are the bride of Christ. And that kind of captures that maybe uh, just our role of loving God, like our focus, the focus of the church is Jesus. You know, the focus of the church is uh, worship to our, to our Lord. Um, it's love. This isn't a social club. Right, you know, the, we're, yes, it's a coming together. Yes, it's a uniting. Yes, we're being built together, like it says in Ephesians two. But to be a dwelling place for God, our what unites us is our common love for Jesus. Symphony is another um, metaphor I've used through through the years. Uh, you know, because if you've been to a symphony. Um, it really has meaning when all of the instruments are played together. Now, maybe sometimes one instrument plays, and that's beautiful. Maybe a flute does a little solo or something like that, but um, it really is when all of it comes together. And then, of course, family, my favorite of all the metaphors. Uh, We are the family of God. We are the household of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are fathers and mothers Um, Paul used that kind of terminology a lot when he was saying, kind of expressing his relationship with the people of God. You know, I'm like a father amongst you, or I'm, you know, nursing you like a mom. You know, he kind of had that affection, that deep family type of attitude within the community. Um, And scripture over and over, you know, uh, you know, the writer sometimes saying, dearly beloved children. Uh, that's, there's a sweetness to that. You know, that the apostles weren't just like these, uh, you know, we're coming in with, we're the authority. We know what we're doing. We're commissioned by God, and you guys need to listen to us. They were, it wasn't like that. They were like fathers, you know, saying, my dear children. And there was such a, a sweetness and a tenderness about, about that. So much more I could say on each of these. So hard to pack everything into these messages. But I'm going to just give you a little smattering of some of the one and others in the New Testament just to, to kind of uh, capture this idea of, you know, really being a family. That these are things that only families can do. There's about 60 in the New Testament. People differ on the actual number a little bit, but you see, love one another, right? Uh, oh, I think over a dozen times. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Uh, be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. Serve one another in love. Carry one another's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ, my wife's favorite verse, <laughs> bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, teach one another, admonish one another, make your love increase and overflow for each other, build each other up, encourage one another daily, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And like I said, that's not, that's not even exhaustive. There are, there are many more. But the point is that how do you do those if church is only 500 people coming together to listen to a sermon, which is needed, and sing some songs? There, there has to be more. It's incomplete to just... You know, church has been reduced in our age, at least in, in the West, to a lecture or a sermon, by, usually by one person, by the pastor, which is good. And, you know, I'm a preacher of the word, so this is, I'm, this is what I'm doing right now, and it's good. Hopefully it's building you up, making you think. And then some worship together, some songs, and that's awesome, too. And Julia... Uh, Julie did a, did a great job this morning. It was beautiful, you know, like beautiful. And as people singing together, it's so refreshing to do that. But is it enough? Is there more to church life? How do we live out all of these one another's? We need, we need more. And so my last thought is going to be from Acts 2.42. To 47, it just gives a little portrait of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and Generous hearts, NIV says, sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was moving, <laughs> added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. What a beautiful picture of the early Christians. Now, it doesn't mean we're supposed to do exactly everything just like they did. Like I said last time, or a few weeks ago, or whatever, there was an, just a season of intense prayer where they were praying for three times a day. You know, just because the early Christians prayed three times in the temple every single day doesn't mean that we're supposed to do that. Every real authentic church has to do that. No, that was a season, a special time, you know, at the birth of the church that that happened. Um, but I do love Acts 2.42 that says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I think that gives us a good just a good, almost like a good baseline grid to work with. You know, those four components, I think, are really essential. 
you know, devotion to the apostles' teaching. That's the preaching of the word of God. That's what am I doing this for? I'm basically reading and expounding a little bit on the apostles' teaching, right? I mean, these are the writings of mostly Paul that I kind of spoke out this morning. So we are, in this community, we, are, we want to be devoted to that. Now, that can be done in different ways. That can also happen in Bible studies or like Chris on uh, Wednesdays, you know, breaking through the book of Malachi for us. There's different ways to do that. But yeah, we want to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. How about the breaking of bread? I unpacked this a few weeks ago that the breaking of bread really is talking about communion. Um, but it's full meals. And the early church ate together. Again, I think if you have a church of 10,000, it's, it's a little weird to have, yeah, let's have a potluck. How do you, you t- there's no potlucks in churches of 10,000. I don't even know if they do meals together. I don't even know how they could do that. But, you know, the, the church would be small enough, and I think we still are, you know, that we could do things like that. We, we have done that, had community meals, and they're wonderful. And we need to, this is a, a huge part of the life and practice of a local church, that they share meals with one another, and they remember the body broken in the shed blood of Jesus. I mean, to, to them, that, that's kind of what, not that they did that maybe every time they ate, but that's how they did communion. It wasn't a five-minute thing tacked on to the end of a service. Um, it was like a full-blown meal together, just like the first when Jesus, right? Uh, you know, the Last Supper, we call it. It was a meal. It was a full-blown uh, Passover meal. So more to speak on that, but fellowship, the Greek word koinia, right? Not to be uh, like a wise guy, but you know we've just reduced the word fellowship to chatting about stuff like five minutes after church with somebody in the parking lot. Um, is that fellowship? Not, yeah, it is. You know, you're kind of encouraging each other and just greeting each other. So I guess it's, like it's part of fellowship. But really, fellowship is, is a much deeper idea. It relates to many of the verses that I talked about, about these different parts of the body or that God has given to each of you through his grace. He, he's given you uh, giftings. And so fellowship is allowing those giftings to really flow in the life of the community. You know, one has exhortation, one has serving, one has a teaching gift. Maybe one has a song, one has, you know, there's just, well, I have 1 Corinthians 14 right here. Um, Paul says this. uh, Nope. Oh, here it is. The whole church comes together. No, I won't read that. Um, When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up of the body. And again, that's not an exhaustive list. It's just when you come together, there has to be. Now, this doesn't mean every time the church comes together, there has to be this, you know, if there's 10 people in the church, everybody gets five minutes, and you go around in a circle, and then the meeting ends. It doesn't mean that. There are times when teachers teach. There are times when preachers preach. There are times when probably the early church just prayed for two hours. 
There were times that maybe they just worshiped and sang hymns. I mean, I think there can be some creativity and ebb and flow and seasons of church life, right? I mean, there's been seasons where we've like prayed like crazy, like praying every day, prayer meetings every day. I mean, maybe those are seasons, just like the early church had that season. Other seasons heavier on teaching, other seasons heavier on body ministry and the koinonia. But I think these things all have to be there. And of course, the fourth thing being prayer. So the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. I think those are essentials. That however we structure things and try different things, those four things need to be bursting with life. And again, maybe some seasons, some are heavier than others, but then we flip it. But over the, over the span of a year or five years, we don't want, we want, we've always wanted this from the beginning, a church that is, I hate the word balanced. It just sounds so lame. Um, a church that is, well, I asked my daughter one time, I loved this. I said, I said something like, what do you think Renaissance Church is strongest in? And I listed out, you know, local mission, and I listed out, like, prayer, and listed out, like, the teaching, preaching of the Word of God, you know, passion for holiness. I just listed a bunch of things that, that usually are, like, strengths of different movements. And she just sat there for, like, a long minute and didn't know how to, how to respond. And I was like, yeah. That's good. Or it's really bad. Because <laughs> you can't even think, well, you're not good at any of those. No, but that wasn't the thing. She was like, I don't know. It's like, it seems like that all those things are really strong features in the community. And I was like, good answer. Where, where do you want me to take you out to eat? <laughs> um, Anyways, I hope you guys got a lot out of this. What I want to do, um, as you might have noticed, I unhitched, hinged the chairs. So you're going to take the last uh, 10 minutes and just mess this place up. Turn the chairs around, uh, get together with uh, three or four or five or six people. I don't care how much you do. And just, uh, just spend a few minutes getting to know each other, say hi to each other, catch up a little bit. You can talk about the message a bit. Um, if you don't know each other, yeah, just spend some time. But serve, this is still part of the service, all right? You know, we'll go another 10 minutes. If you are brand new and you're terrified of this, and it's fine to slip out because it's going to be really messy and noisy in the next few minutes. You can just kind of slip out. We won't throw stones at you, but we would like you to stick around. If you want to uh, talk with me or one of the other pastors, um, we will be over by the couch area to my left, your right. So you can, you can head over there instead of doing the group. Um, so those at home, God bless you. Enjoy your breakfast. Love you all. All right.